Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, Agency Owner? If you're new here, I've got a free ebook on how to scale your business to multiple six and even seven figures by overcoming your dependency on referrals, doubling your profit per project, and removing yourself as the main bottleneck in your business. All you have to do is DM me the word gift on Facebook at Brent Weaver. That's facebook.com slash Brent Weaver. And I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in business and life. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver. And today we're hanging out with Will Bagnell. Will is the CEO and founder of Suso Digital, a fast-growing UK specialist technical SEO agency. And in the five years that he's been running this agency, from literally like no marketing experience whatsoever, he's scaled to a team of over 35 employees all across Europe, working on over 100 active campaigns for his clients. So we're excited to dig into the details of exactly how Will's done this for his business today. Stay tuned for our show to hear the whole story. Will, welcome to the program. Hey, Brent. Great to be here. Nice to meet you. So what made you start an agency without really a lot of agency experience? What made you start an agency five years ago? Yeah, good question. Um, by complete accident in terms of uh, how it all came about. You know, there wasn't any um, elaborate business plan or previous uh, sort of goal to, to, to build an agency in a particular area. Uh, for me, it was an interesting business. Uh, that was, a, a you know, the main thing that was, was very important for me, the main interest that I had. And uh, initially, I was uh, a graduate of law for a university, didn't want to become a lawyer um, here in the UK. There's a lot of uh, similar uh, sort of graduates that come out of their degree of choices and don't follow the career paths that they uh, were, were, were con- initially considering. For me, from, so so you actually got a law degree. I got a law degree. Yeah, I um, but I didn't go into practice. You know, I travelled a bit. I got sort of different jobs in different industries, trying to figure it all out. And uh, yeah, it was from a sales and marketing. Uh, job that I had working within a, a startup incubator kind of program, I I realised that actually running a business was something which was uh, something that was probably up my street. I mean, to be totally frank with you, I saw a lot of companies and seeing them from the outside, seeing that and basically thinking that I could do a better job was one of the reasons. But I thought, okay, I'm going to do, um, I'm going to try doing this myself. And so the first kind of business that I did run was uh, was basically affiliate websites. So, you know, a lot of people in, in the sort of internet marketing world start out running their own companies this way. I think it's because it's a relatively cheap way of starting a business, you know, getting a website, ranking a website, finding some products to sell, selling leads. This is, um, you know, a typical way that people would enter the market and start to, 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 to create businesses. And this is how I started, actually. I started to rent my own um, websites. And then, you know, in terms of how that then transitioned into an agency, essentially just sort of networking and talking with 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 other companies and getting sent work my way, saying, okay, well, you've done this SEO stuff for yourself. Why, why don't you do some SEO for my site? 
we started to get quite a few referrals and got to a point where actually the agency side of the business was organically growing and we pivoted away from doing this affiliate marketing play and actually focused on just building out the agency. So yeah, that it all started without any marketing background whatsoever, um, without any intention to build an agency. But, you know, that was five years ago where we were, you know, doing our own websites. We were doing full stack services. We moved from just doing SEO into PPC social. And then it was at a point where we realized, okay, well, with the way SEO in particular is getting more and more sophisticated with the regularity of the updates, it would be a great industry for us to focus on. So we actually repositioned ourselves and, and, and pivoted away from being a, a full stack digital marketing agency and decided to go down the route of being an SEO specialist. And, um, you know, that's why we've uh, sort of scaled a, a team of, of, of SEO only professionals. And um, yeah, I suppose the rest is history, really. One of the things, well, I think is cool about this story is your intention was, you know, to create a business, not necessarily <laughs> an SEO business. And you allowed mm-hmm. the, you know, kind of the service market fit process uh, to happen. And I think a lot of agency owners start maybe a little bit more, I don't know if I want to say entrenched, but they maybe they're a web designer, maybe they're an ad specialist, maybe they're an SEO person, and they create their business, you know, and they're trying to create... Uh, a business, right, that kind of fits their own model versus, you know, delivering value to customers and then kind of moving and pivoting and iterating towards where the market seems to want their attention. And it sounds like you followed more of that latter process where, you know, you were doing some affiliate work, you were kind of, you had an initial idea of what the business was, but then that obviously has evolved and, you know, and you've been able to pivot and tack and continue to to kind of see where that that biggest value and opportunity is. And now you have a highly specialized SEO agency, but that wasn't the initial goal, right? Which I think is is beautiful. I, th- I think, you know, that a lot of that came about from me, from me not having that initial marketing experience. You know, I wasn't necessarily emotionally attached to a particular industry, a particular market. You know, my emotional attachment was to, to scaling the business and it happened to be that... SEO and agency was what I was most suited for at this time in my life. And that's, uh, you know, I'd like to be, you know, an entrepreneur that has a few different businesses along the way, you know, I'm 35 now. So, you know, would like to, to have a few businesses. This is the first business I've run and, you know, would like to to keep scaling it. Um, so there may be other sort of areas that I move into, but yeah, I think the fact that we, um, I say we, you know, me and an initial founder who started the company, weren't necessarily um, from an SEO background. It's allowed us to, 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 to not be so precious about the particular industry we moved in and, and actually let the market dictate the direction that we went in. Hey, what's up, agency owners? I want to let you know about a hosting platform that is giving digital agencies and creators around the world an edge when it comes to site speed, scalability, and profit. It's called Cloudways, and it's designed to create exceptional experiences for you and your clients that guarantees unmatched performance, reliability, and choice with 24-7 award-winning support. Cloudways is excited to offer our listeners a $50 hosting credit in addition to their amazing benefits of their agency partner program. For more details, head over to yougurus.com slash cloudways or use promo code DASCW when signing up. Let's get back to our show. There's there's a big difference between a three or four person agency and a 35 person agency. I mean, I assume 
you have some level of like a management infrastructure of how people are managed. I assume you're not managing 35 people, you know, just by yourself. So can you kind of walk us through, paint us a picture of what the agency's structure is? How how have you, you know, how have you evolved that from just the first few people to now 35? What does that accountability chart look like? Yeah. You know, as an operational business agency, it's uh, that that's one of the most complex areas. I feel is is just getting that uh, you know that that hierarchy, that structure right. And I think as you're growing, there's always growing pains whereby you know that first intern you get in that's growing with you suddenly becomes a, a senior member of the team, who then becomes a head of a team, and you got lots of different people doing lots of different things. And it gets to a certain point where actually you do need some kind of structure because otherwise the company just gets you know a little bit too messy and i think that was when we realized we'd moved from a startup to a, a more established business is when we started to to build in that that kind of structure and in terms of how we scaled it we initially started out with with a few team members in london which is where our, our hq is we uh also would would find contractors using uh websites like Elance to, 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 to help with certain more administrative tasks. And this is when SEO was probably when we started a little bit less sophisticated than it is now. You know, you were able to do things without as much uh, intense or technical knowledge. And, you know, with from someone that didn't necessarily have an SEO background, I was still able to pick up a lot from the, from the, uh, the experience I had running my affiliate sites. And so we started out, you know, with, with, Kind of contractors offshore, really. Then it got to a point where we start as SEO got more sophisticated. I needed to bring more personnel in. What I was struggling with here in London with very high salary expectations of experienced SEOs, and quite often, you know, quality of of, of, of uh, resource which wasn't to the kind of standard that I was looking for. Uh, and we had some very good SEOs within the company. So my decision was to basically build an academy program to take graduates and. In, in, in really top degrees in things like computer science, physics, maths, uh, who may not have even been aware of the, the opportunity to move into marketing. And we train them up. So we train them up and get them to expert levels within a you know a very short period of time. And, and these are these are people that are are offshore or these are people that are in London with the advanced degrees? These were the people in London. So we moved away from being so focused on, um, I'm going to take you through the, the complete journey of, of the different kind of hiring processes we've had. Uh, we, we, we've, I focused on the London office and it was, you know, essentially forced upon me to, 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 to take graduates through an academy program, really because there was a lack of resource that I could find uh, in terms of quality, both in the contractors and also in the, in the, the local market. And so we would train these SEOs up, had some fantastic technical SEOs within the company that could do that. And then um, the issue that I was then finding was that the uh, SUSE was getting a bit of a reputation for, from, from recruitment personnel for it as being a bit of a talent pool. So we... <laughs> you, were, you were doing their job for them, man. You were, you, were taking, you were going out and finding green people and you were turning them into talented SEOs. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Um, you know, it was, it was good while it lasted, but uh, we, yeah, we were having sort of bigger agencies here in London swoop in, throw silly money at, at some of the talent we developed. So it became quite difficult to retain talent. And, you know, we, I think we, because we had a good company culture, uh, we were able to, to hold on to, to a lot of talent relatively sort of long period of time. But 
ultimately, you know, it was it was more difficult to scale when you know you were losing some 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 of your better people, and so the opportunity actually came about where we needed to um, outsource a bit of work to be able to keep up with capacity, and I happened to be uh, introduced to a company in, in, in Poland, and then I eventually brought the, the, the founder over from this company to to come and work with us uh, and to build our own team. So we weren't necessarily outsourcing. We were actually, you know, using a team in Poland, which was uh, which were employed by Suso. And we scaled that team. And that's essentially allowed us to grow to, you know, to, to 35 people relatively quickly is because we've got a really top quality brand out there. You know, we can attract really great talent in an area which is fluent in English. Uh, we're based out of a large university town uh, called Poznan. So there's no sort of translation issues for us. And for us, it's been a great opportunity because there's an abundance of, of top quality technical talent and a lot of SEOs in particular. It's an industry, it's a career that a lot of younger people know about. So they start entering the market. Um, you know, they it may be a programmer that has gone to university with an ambition to go into SEO rather than the UK. The tendency is to go straight to tech development. Out there, we found a, a more of a tradition of actually, you know, technical personnel being interested in marketing. And so really that's allowed us to scale and, you know, our sort of ability to, to offer opportunities for some of these Polish staff to work on, perhaps bigger budgets, more exciting kinds of campaigns than they would do in London allows us to really uh, attract some top quality talent. And uh, in terms of, you know, being able to scale at such a rapid rate, that is, it's, it's largely been down to having an offshore team. Yeah, that's awesome. I think a lot of people, it's one of the reasons they like websites like Elance or Fiverr is that a lot of times you're able to tap into or onlinejobs.ph or whatever, right? I mean, there's these talent pools in the Philippines, in Poland, in India, right? These global like little uh, like talent pools where there are a lot of people getting into tech because of their ability to work with overseas clients. And, you know, there's that purchasing power parity that that a lot of companies can benefit, but it comes with a lot of challenges. And I think, you know, a lot of agencies struggle with offshoring. I mean, I know a lot of people that, I mean, I personally have gotten, you know, burned in so many, you know, I keep coming back to the well because I mean, it does, the upside is big, right? If you can make it work, the upside is big. But I've heard from a few agencies, very similar to your story of having essentially your own footprint within that country. It sounds like you got a founder who was a native, uh, you know, Polish person who already had a team that you were able to acquire and bring into Suso, which I think is which is awesome. But I, mm -hmm. I oftentimes will advise agencies if they want to make uh, offshoring or that kind of model work over the long run, that it's really important to not just, you know, don't just have like a Slack relationship or whatever with these people. Like you need to like go. You need to become. You need to become really culturally aware. You need to kind of get, you know, build those relationships just like you would with an in-house team. Uh, you know, you can you can throw a project to an Elancer here and there, but to really build a scalable model like you've done, I think you have to have like a footprint in that country. Absolutely. And and I think it's it's I think, you know, it's one of those things that can be daunting. And part of the reason that, you know, I know there's countries like, you know, Philippines, India, which are typically very uh, they're countries with a, a massive outsourcing market. For us, you know, Poland 
in all in all honesty, you know, inflation is quite high there now. That the, the, in terms of the cost saving, it's you know, it's it's certainly you know nowhere near it was sort of a couple of years ago. But for us, we we've got that kind of first mover advantage where we're able to attract top quality talent, and it may be that the 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 cost savings aren't as high, but you know we can actually raise our prices because the quality of the service is higher as well. So there's there's obviously flip sides to it, and the fact that you know it's only a two hour flight from the UK. You know Europe is. Um, I know you, you know you guys in America get quite jealous of the fact we can hop on a flight and be in a completely different country in a couple of hours. And it's you know again it's the same with with having an offshore team in somewhere like Poland. I, I literally got back last week. Um, I was there for just two days non-stop meetings, seeing all the team. And yet, you know, being able to go over every sort of six weeks is uh, is relatively easy for me. My first uh, my first outsourcer was in Poland. It was a guy, okay. uh, a designer I met on, um, I think, DeviantArt, which was like a design, you know, still is a popular design website, but, you know, it was a little bit more popular in the web space back in the day for like, you know, website design. It kind of almost like a, you know, an early, um, you know, kind of one of these big design design portfolio type websites. Mm-hmm. Man, he like he worked hard, man. And I don't, I don't think we ever paid him like what he was worth, even a fraction of what he like. We didn't even pay him like in in Poland what he probably should have been making. But you know, again, it's it's he was hungry, we were hungry, we were trying to make it work. And I mean, I remember just the uh, the level of dedication of, you know, trying to get things exactly how our clients needed it. The talent also was there when he was one of the most talented. I mean, he actually, it was funny. He, he, he worked for us for probably like a year and a half. And then he got like a legit job with like Nike or something. You know, it was like, one day he messaged me. He's like, Hey, I got a job for like 150 K us. Uh, I'm not yeah. working for you anymore. I'm like, okay, well, we're not like we're paying you a small fraction of that. <laughs> it was that, good right? while it lasted. Right? It was it was fun while it lasted. By the way, do you have any friends? Right? <laughs> do you have anybody that you know that has not yet got a job at Nike? But I I find that uh, you know, I I think one of my I guess where I'm going with this is like I did find that that relationship it, it was cool because like I really built a relationship with Marson and you know, got to know the culture and got to know kind of like, like I kind of would wake up when, you know, I'd wake up and be available during his time. And for me as an entrepreneur, that was like some of my first experiences to offshoring was through, through that Polish base. So, I mean, it's just, I think just getting to know the people that you're working with, I think, you know, getting to know their culture, their way of working. I think there's, there's a lot of, of value in that. How have you managed the cultural differences between your UK like leadership team and the Polish team. I'm assuming that you have a lot of back and forth on that. It sounds like you've gotten on the plane a few times, um, but there's still probably some challenges of having, you know, teams spread across uh, different countries with two, well, similar cultures. Like there's some, there's like a Venn diagram, of like UK and Poland. There's probably some overlap, but there's still probably a lot of, a lot of differences. Yeah. In all honesty, I haven't felt it is that much of a challenge. I think that you know the, the the sort of age demographic typically is is quite similar. You know, not that we've intentionally done that, but you know, the majority of the of, of the uh, you know of, of the staff are of a certain age group. So there's a lot of things in common that, that you know in terms of being able to discuss on a social um, side of things. Which I think you know if you if you can build good social rapport with people you're working with, it doesn't really matter where they're based. You know, you can have a 
you know, if you can have a beer and a good chat with somebody, then, you know, they're always going to be people that you can work with. Obviously, there's difference in labour laws and the sort of way sort of things, you know, slight sort of differences in, in, in sort of working sort of, uh, structures. But I think, you know, overall, it hasn't been much of a challenge for me. Uh, and I think it's really just because, you know, I suppose it's just the fact that we we we, we talk to people as people, you know, in the company is a big thing for us being a people first culture at, at, at SUSO. And so, you know, it's a case of, you know, everyone treats it with each other with a fair amount of respect. And I think if there's a respect between you and your employees and, you know, there's obviously a hierarchy there, but it's, you know, it's for us, it's really is a, a collaboration in terms of, you know, the, the business. It's not, you know, me in London and the skeleton team of five here in London are the big bosses. And, you know, the we just sort of rely on the polls to, 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 to kind of do our dirty work. That's not the case at all. You know, the, the, the Polish team are the business, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very much a collaboration between the UK and Poland. And, um, you know, we're not um, sort of, we're, we're not afraid to talk about that as well. You know, we'll, it's actually one of, you know, one of the selling points that uh, that when when I talk with 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 clients is about this, and our positioning specifically is as a high end SEO outsource provider. So our agency works with a lot of other agencies that have an appetite to offer SEO. Yeah. Might be full stack SEO companies, might be PPC agencies looking to enter the market, might be SEO agencies that have fallen behind on SEO. And um, you know, I'll very openly mention the fact we do have this Polish resource that is very strong technically, it allows us to be able to, you know, charge sort of more cheaper rates so that therefore there's margin on top to be able to, you know, charge the end client when you are outsourcing. And yeah, I think it's, um, you know, for us, it's a big part of the business and why hide it? We, you know, we, uh, we, we really do promote it. And, you know, you'll see on the website, there's, you know, on our blog, we're, we're always celebrating our success stories and talking about the people at the forefront of the business. Hey, what's up, agency owners? I want to tell you about one of my favorite white-label partners, E2M. They can help with all your website design, web development, SEO, and content needs for your client projects. This includes WordPress, WooCommerce, Shopify, BigCommerce, Webflow, Duda, SiteGlide, custom PHP applications, and much more. Have peace of mind when it comes to your outsourcing needs. Let E2M become an extension of your team so you can grow and scale how you want. Check them out today at e2msolutions.com. That's e the number two m solutions.com. All right, back to our show. I think a lot of people that do outsource, I think there's there's kind of different camps, right? They I think a lot of people, especially in the early days of outsourcing, they have a lot of fear around talking about it. Like if I told you that your website's being built by a team in India, right? That all of a sudden the client's gonna think, oh, this isn't going to be a good work product or it's, you know, why, why wouldn't they, like, I think some businesses have like some weird, like, oh, it's got to be, you know, I don't want to work with a team overseas. Right. And probably because it's, it's from their world experience, right. They probably, you know, personally tried to outsource a project overseas and didn't have a, you know, it was a contract team as a random, it was like posting their job on Upwork, like for any, any random contractor to do right. Uh, versus having your own team. But I do feel like there's people that are afraid to talk about that. It sounds mm-hmm. like when you present that to your clients, you do present it with a little bit of of value and positioning. Like, hey, we have like our our engine is in Poland. One of the benefits of that is, you know, we're gonna we're gonna be able to be a little bit more competitive on pricing than you might find with other agencies. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I love to hear that, right? To be open with your clients about that because I feel like if you're not, 
And then all of a sudden, there's people communicating in the project where they're clearly in a different country, different time mm-hmm. zone, you know, that that can, can kind of come back to bite you. Is there anything else that you do in terms of presenting that team and that company image, whether it's on your website or other places, uh, so people see that as an asset and a value? Uh, well, actually, even our account managers are based in Poland as well. We, I always presumed as you know, the company was sort of being spread between London and, and Poland, but we would have to always have our account management based in in Poland, where actually we ran an experiment and we we started trialing a few of the you know the the, the, the account managers based in in uh, in Poznan, which is the city we are, and we found that the quality of work was very very high. There's actually a lot of Polish that have spent time in the UK and um, you know America and you know completely fluent in English and with with a huge amount of experience as well. So I think in terms of that presentation, I think it doesn't really sort of there's no more you can do in terms of showcasing that than actually having direct conversations with with the person at the, fr- at the front of the company, the account managers being from the country where you're based. So I think, um, you know, it's not something we'll be hired at all. And it's, it's yeah, just, uh, just I think, from a perspective of a, of a potential um, agency that we work with, something which, you know, I think, you know, it's we're becoming surgy during COVID, a much more global economy, you know, where someone's base now really makes, you know, very little difference as the output of the work, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm 100% with you on that. Has Have you had any clients that have had a challenge with that idea in terms of the handoff to, you know, somebody that's overseas or, you know, different culture? I mean, I, I know a lot of agency owners feel apprehension about that. They might have a team in India. They might have a team somewhere you know, in, in Philippines or whatever. And the idea of like handing a client off to, to that team just feels like a big, they feel a lot of resistance to it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, there's, there's always some questions that might come up. Uh, but I think the fact that it's a company, which, you know, we own, it's not a case that we're just outsourcing to another company. It's, it's, it is Suso. It's based out there. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a case, but it is it is our company, and I think you know that for us, it's our case studies, the uh, the work that we do that does the talking really. So who, wherever the person is that's actually producing the work, it, it really doesn't matter. I think obviously there's always sort of situations where clients may want to meet face to face, and I mean interestingly, most of our our clients are actually based in the states anyway, and we don't have a, a HQ in the states, and so. We always found that, you know, even pre-COVID, meeting clients face-to-face wasn't particularly essential so long as you can do video calls, you know, you can, you know, have constant communication. And so it, it, it has rarely caused any kind of pushback, in all honesty. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, congrats to you, Will, and the Suso team for building such an amazing culture. And and I'm sure, you know, 35 team members is just a milestone for you all. It sounds like you're doing something right to do that in five years. So congrats on that growth. Uh, do you got a few minutes to stick around with us for our lightning round? Yeah. If you explain what the lightning round is, that'd be uh, helpful. <laughs> <laughs> four, four quick questions. So, so quick questions, quick answers. What is the best advice you've ever received? Don't scale too quickly was actually something which... Um, was really good advice because there were times when we scaled too quickly and we weren't able to cope with the new business. And I think that sort of, for me in the agency world, that kind of sustainable growth is, I think 
it's not like tech where a lot can be automated. You need to have that sort of those operational efficiencies to be able to scale. And so, yeah, not necessarily scaling too quick and actually saying no sometimes to new business or putting it, uh, putting it on, you know, uh, putting it into the, the, you know, into future work. Then that, that for me has been really sort of useful for us. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? I think being personable. I think that's, uh, you know, I try and be someone who, who can talk to anybody. And I think that helps me when talking with clients, speaking with, you know, directors of companies, speaking with interns. I think, you know, habit of, 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 of talking to everyone uh, and empathizing and being on an equal playing field, no matter who I'm talking to, is, uh, has been something that's, you know, helped me along the way. Can you share an internet resource, a tool or app that you use regularly that you think our listeners would find valuable? Yeah, for me, Ahrefs is the best uh, SEO tool. It's a phenomenal tool for just getting quick snapshots on, you know, how a website is performing from an SEO perspective, how competitors are performing. And, you know, when you want to go deeper than just a snapshot, you can actually build some fantastic strategies with it. So that's our, uh, that's our personal as an SEO specialist uh, um, agency, our personal tool of choice. And what book would you recommend and why? I think Good to Great is a fantastic book. Uh, it really sort of, for me, it was very good at just sort of pinpointing the areas that we were uh, we needed to improve in, really refining our specialism, getting the right kind of people on the bus, i.e. getting the right team members in place before you push that specialism. That's been, you know, one of, one of my go-to business books. Awesome, man. Love that book. Big Jim Collins fan. Thanks for the recommend. For those listeners out there, if you're on the road or you're out running around town and you don't have a computer handy or a notepad, go to yougurus.com forward slash podcast and we'll link out to Ahrefs as well as Good to Great and have lots of tools, tips, and takeaways from today's episode. Will, how can our audience find out more about you? Is there anything that you have that they can check out? Yeah, look, just go on SUSE Digital website. We've got some great resources on there. We've got an SEO textbook, which is an online SEO course where if you're looking to learn more about SEO and look, I'm always great um, to, to, in terms of chat. I love to chat with other agency owners and just, you know, this is you know, why I originally was, was chatting with you, Brent, about, about the business because we'd love to, you know, learn more and get involved and so yeah, just if anyone just wants to hook me up on my email, will at susodigital.com, feel free to. Uh, and yeah, some, some good resources on our website. Check those out. Awesome. Well, Will, we will link out to susodigital.com as well as your email address, will at susodigital.com. Uh, and also link out to your LinkedIn and social media profiles. So if our listeners are out there and they're like, man, I love what Will was talking about today. I want to follow up with him. I want to learn more about what he's up to. Uh, we'll organize all of those links at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. We'll make it nice and easy for you to become a raving fan of Will and the work that Suso Digital is doing. Will, thanks so much for stopping by the program today. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, Brent. It was good to be on. And that's it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, if you want that free ebook on how to scale to multiple six and seven figures, all you got to do is DM me on Facebook, the word gift at Brent Weaver, and I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. Brent Weaver.